of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham, Chapter 23, Segment 1. Philip thought occasionally of the King's School at Turkenbury, and laughed to himself as he remembered what, at some particular moment of the day, they were doing. Now and then, he dreamed that he was still there, and it gave him extraordinary satisfaction, on awaking, to realize that he was in his little room in the turret. From his bed, he could see the great cumulus clouds that hung in the blue sky. He reveled in his freedom. He could go to bed when he chose, and get up when the fancy took him. There was no one to order him about. It struck him that he need not tell any more lies. It had been arranged that Professor Erlen should teach him Latin and German. A Frenchman came every day to give him lessons in French, and the Frau Professor had recommended for mathematics an Englishman who was taking a philological degree at the university. This was a man named Wilson. Philip went to him every morning. He lived in one room on the top floor of a shabby house. It was dirty and untidy, and it was filled with a pungent odor made up of many different stinks. He was generally in bed when Philip arrived at ten o'clock, and he jumped up, put on a filthy dressing gown and felt slippers, and, while he gave instruction, ate his simple breakfast. He was a short man, stout from excessive beer drinking, with a heavy mustache and long, unkempt hair. He had been in Germany for five years and was become very Teutonic. He spoke with scorn of Cambridge, where he had taken his degree, and with horror of the life which awaited him when, having taken his doctorate in Heidelberg, he must return to England and a pedagogic career. He adored the life of the German university, with its happy freedom and its jolly companionships. He was a member of Burschenstaft, and promised to take Philip to a Nipa. He was very poor, and made no secret that his lessons he was giving Philip meant the difference between meat for his dinner and bread and cheese. End of segment one. Chapter 23 Segment 2 Sometimes after a heavy night, he had such a headache that he could not drink his coffee, and he gave his lesson with heaviness of spirit. For these occasions he kept a few bottles of beer under the bed, and one of these and a pipe would help him to bear the burden of life. A hair of the dog that bit him, he would say, as he poured out the beer, carefully so that the foam should not make him wait too long to drink. Then he would talk to Philip of the university, the quarrels between rival corps, the duels, the merits of this professor and that professor. Philip learnt more of life from him than of mathematics. Sometimes Wharton would sit back with a laugh and say, Look here, we've not done anything today. You needn't pay me for the lesson. Oh, it doesn't matter, said Philip. This was something new and very interesting and he felt that it was of greater import than trigonometry, which he could never understand. It was like a window on life that he had a chance of peeping through, and he looked with a wildly beating heart. "'No, you can keep your dirty money,' said Wharton. "'But how about your dinner?' said Philip, with a smile, for he knew exactly how his master's finances stood. 
Warden had even asked him to pay him the two shillings which the lesson cost once a week rather than once a month, since it made things less complicated. Oh, never mind my dinner. It won't be the first time I've dined off a bottle of beer, and my mind's never clearer than when I do. He dived under the bed, the sheets were gray with one of washing, and fished out another bottle. Philip, who was young and did not know the good things of life, refused to share it with him, so he drank alone. How long are you going to stay here? he asked Wharton. Both he and Philip had given up with relief the pretense of mathematics. Oh, I don't know, I suppose about a year. Then my people want me to go to Oxford. Wharton gave a contemptuous shrug of the shoulders. It was a new experience for Philip to learn that there were persons who did not look upon that seat of learning with awe. End of segment two. Chapter 23, Segment 3 What do you want to go there for? You'll only be a glorified schoolboy. Why don't you matriculate here? A year's no good. Spend five years here. You know, there are two good things in life, freedom of thought and freedom of action. In France, you get freedom of action. You can do what you like and nobody bothers, but you must think like everybody else. In Germany, you must do what everybody else does, but you may think as you choose. They're both very good things. I personally prefer freedom of thought. But in England, you get neither. You're ground by convention. You can't think as you like, and you can't act as you like. That's because it's a democratic nation. I expect America's worse. He leaned back cautiously, for the chair on which he sat had a rickety leg and it was disconcerting when a rhetorical flush was interrupted by a sudden fall to the floor. I ought to go back to England this year, but if I can scrape together enough to keep body and soul on speaking terms, I shall stay another twelve months. But then I shall have to go, and I must leave all this. He waved his arm around the dirty garret, with its unmade bed, the clothes lying on the floor, a row of empty beer bottles against the wall, piles of unbound, ragged books in every corner, for some provincial university where I shall try to get a chair of philology, and I shall play tennis and go to tea parties. He interrupted himself and gave Philip, very neatly dressed, with a clean collar on and his hair well brushed, a quizzical look, and, my God, I shall have to wash. Philip reddened, feeling his own spruceness and intolerable reproach for of late he had begun to pay some attention to his toilet, and he had come out from England with a pretty selection of ties. End of segment three. Chapter 23, Segment 4 The summer came upon the country like a conqueror. Each day was beautiful. The sky had an arrogant blue which goaded the nerves like a spur. The green of the trees in the unlodge was violent and crude, and the houses, when the sun caught them, had a dazzling white which stimulated till it hurt. Sometimes, on his way back from Warden, Philip would sit in the shade on one of the benches in the unlodge, enjoying the coolness and watching the patterns of light which the sun, shining through the leaves, made on the ground. 
his soul danced with delight as gaily as the sunbeams. He reveled in those moments of idleness stolen from his work. Sometimes he sauntered through the streets of the old town. He looked with awe at the students of the corps, their cheeks gashed and red, who swaggered about in their colored caps. In the afternoons, he wandered about the hills with the girls in Frau Professor's house, and sometimes they went up to the river and had tea in a leafy beer garden. In the evenings, they walked round and round the stat garden, listening to the band. Philip soon learned the various interests of the household. Fräulein Thekla, the professor's eldest daughter, was engaged to a man in England who had spent twelve months in the house to learn German, and their marriage was to take place at the end of the year. But the young man wrote that his father, an Indian rubber merchant who lived in Slough, did not approve of the union, and Fräulein Thekla was often in tears. Sometimes she and her mother might be seen, with stern eyes and determined mouths, looking over the letters of the reluctant lover. Thekla painted in watercolor, and occasionally she and Philip, with another of the girls to keep them company, would go out and paint little pictures. The pretty Fräulein Hedwig had amorous troubles, too. She was the daughter of a merchant in Berlin, and a dashing hussar had fallen in love with her. A Vaughn, if you please. But his parents opposed a marriage with the person of her condition, and she had been sent to Heidelberg to forget him. She could never, never do this, and corresponded with him continually, and he was making every effort to induce an exasperating father to change his mind. She told all this to Philip with pretty sighs and becoming blushes, and showed him the photograph of the gay lieutenant. Philip liked her best of all the girls at the Frau Professor's, and on their walks always tried to get by her side. He blushed a great deal when the others chafed him for his obvious preference. He made his first declaration in his life to Fräulein Hedwig, but unfortunately it was an accident, and it happened in this manner. End of segment four. Chapter 23, Segment 5 In the evenings when they did not go out, the young women sang little songs in the green velvet drawing room, while Fräulein Anna, who always made herself useful, industriously accompanied. Fräulein Hedwig's favorite song was called Ich liebe dich, I love you, and one evening after she had sung this, when Philip was standing with her on the balcony, Looking at the stars, it occurred to him to make some remark about it. He began, Ich liebe dich. His German was halting, and he looked about for the word he wanted. The pause was infinitesimal, but before he could go on, Fräulein Hedwig said, Ah, Herr Kerry, Sie müssen mir nicht du sagen. You mustn't talk to me in the second person singular. Philip felt himself grow hot all over, for he would never have dared to do anything so familiar, and he could think of nothing on earth to say. It would be ungallant to explain that he was not making an observation, but merely mentioning the title of a song. Entschuldigen Sie, he said. I beg your pardon. It does not matter, she whispered. She smiled pleasantly, quietly took his hand and pressed it, then turned back into the drawing room. Next day, he was so embarrassed that he could not speak to her, 
and in his shyness did all that was possible to avoid her. When he was asked to go for the usual walk, he refused because, he said, he had work to do. But Fräulein Hedwig seized an opportunity to speak to him alone. Why are you behaving in this way? she asked kindly. You know, I'm not angry with you for what you said last night. You can't help it if you love me. I'm flattered. But although I'm not exactly engaged to Herman, I can never love anyone else, and I look upon myself as his bride. Philip blushed again, but he put on quite the expression of a rejected lover. I hope you'll be very happy, he said. End of segment five.